Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word, but we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Did you know that during the Last Supper, the last Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, that there was a certain uh, place where each of them sat at the table? And uh, if you read the passage closely in Scripture, you'll notice that John had a certain place that he sat, Peter had a certain place where he sat, and Judas also had a certain place where he sat. And if you read the passage closely, then you will come to find out that uh, Judas had at the table the place of honor beside Jesus. The place of honor beside Jesus was where Judas sat, which tells you a little bit about how at that time, the other disciples may have felt about Judas. And it might also tell you something about Jesus' compassion and love for Judas and the opportunities he gave Judas to change his mind right up until the very last minute before he actually went through with his betrayal of Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about during this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Okay, so we're uh, continuing with our look into Judas. Um and his betrayal of Jesus today. Uh, I said when we first started, you probably don't remember, but that this is broken down into basically four different phases of Judas's betrayal. The first phase was the deal, which we've, I think, fleshed that out pretty well the last couple of weeks. Uh, today, we're moving on to phase two, which is the deal revealed. So if you want to turn to John 13 today, we're going to look at where Jesus uh, says to Judas, I know you're not fooling me. I know what you're doing. I know what you're planning to do. I know what you've done. And so Jesus reveals uh, to Judas uh, and to John, actually, during the Last Supper, uh, what uh, Judas is up to. So John uh, chapter 13 is also found in Matthew. Matthew deals with it too, but John 
has a little bit more detail, and I thought we would at look at uh, his his account of the deal revealed. So look, I'm going to start in verse 19 of John 13, and John says, "I am telling," or, or Jesus says, uh, "I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am He." And it just strikes me, you know, God, God, what it, Moses said, what is your name? And God said, I am. And if you really pay attention throughout the New Testament, when Jesus speaks, he often, often, often uses that same name, I am. And it's meant, and, and the gospel writers, he said it on purpose, and the gospel writers have recorded it on purpose because this is a subtle way of Jesus, you know, reflecting that he is God. So that's what happens here. The, the, the words used here in this verse 19 is to tell, uh, before it happens, you believe that I am he. I am. It's my name is the same name as God's name. I am. And that's basically what God said in the Old Testament. I am who I am. So. Pharisees question, mm-hmm. and he says, "I am," and they knew exactly what he was saying. They won their Exactly, he says it often in the New Testament. You pick up on it; it's it's really quite amazing. Now, in the original Greek, before verse twenty, uh, Jesus says something that's not recorded in my translation. Probably isn't in yours. At the beginning of verse twenty, before he says, "I tell you the truth," in the original Greek, he says, "Amen, amen." Now, when Jesus says, amen, amen, it means what I'm going to say next is very important. It's also translated as verily, verily. Saying it once is is enough. Saying it twice means, okay, this is important. So, amen, amen, I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So, this is really, it's directed to all of them and to all of us. But it's also specifically intended for Judas's ears, right? Because Jesus says, whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And the inverse of that is Jesus saying, if you don't accept me, then you don't accept the one who sent me. If you don't accept me, you don't accept the Father. In other words, if you don't have a relationship with me as Savior as Messiah, then you are without a relationship with God. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish, if you're pagan, if you're if you're spiritual, whatever, but you cannot come to God. If you don't accept me, you don't accept the one who sent me. And if you you know you have you have to come to God through me. So without God through Jesus, what Jesus is implying here, without God, without a relationship with God through me, through Christ, you are lost and you are condemned. And so this was meant for all of them, but you can imagine Judas has already made the deal with the uh, religious leaders. He's coming here uh, trying to camouflage himself as an obedient devoted disciple, and and he knows he really hasn't accepted Jesus, 
as Messiah because he's agreed to betray him. He wouldn't have done that if he called Jesus as Messiah. And so Jesus is saying, Judas, if you don't accept me, you don't accept the one who sent me. If you don't accept God through me, if you don't have a relationship with God through me, then you are lost and you are condemned. And this is Judas because Judas never accepted Jesus in his heart and soul and spirit as the Messiah and believed him in that, in that way. And so it says after verse 21, after Jesus had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. He was troubled in his spirit. So this fact that Judas had not accepted him and did not have a relationship with God through him. And because he didn't, then he would be lost and condemned. This fact troubled Jesus greatly. What troubled Jesus greatly? What does he say next? I tell you the truth. One of you is going to, and also before he says, I tell you the truth, there he also says in the original, amen, amen. So after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, amen, amen. Again, listen, I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. What troubled Jesus' spirit? The fact that Judas was going to betray him. It made him very, very sad and troubled and upset that after Judas had been with him all this time, and he's given Judas all this opportunity to believe in him, that Judas still didn't, and because he couldn't come through God, through Christ, that he would be condemned and lost for eternity, and this troubled Jesus greatly. And the word troubled there is the same word that is used when uh, the description is given of how the disciples felt when they saw Jesus coming to them, walking on the water, and they were in the boat. It says you know, that, that the disciples were troubled when they saw Jesus coming to them, walking on the water. And that same kind of trouble and turmoil that they felt when they saw that is the same kind of trouble and turmoil that Jesus feels right now about Judas's betrayal. I don't know if you saw that episode in The Chosen where uh, they have Jesus walking on the water and the disciples are in the boat. That was a, that was so amazing and so impressive. And I think they do a pretty good job of showing how out of their minds with disbelief or whatever you want to call it, seeing Jesus do that and take that and apply that to how Jesus felt in his own spirit. Um, you know, he was upset that, that Judas, he, he it it mattered to him and it bothered him, and he was upset by the fact that Judas um, Judas was going to do that. I found uh, in some of my studies this poem that I thought we got. I got to share this with you. Someone wrote this poem. It says, "Still as of old, men by themselves are priced. For thirty pieces, Judas sold himself, not Christ." Yeah, that's exactly what happened, isn't it? Okay, so let's go on. So we get to verse twenty-one, and he said, and and this is this is the big announcement. This is the big announcement. So you know, to set this in context, right? They're they're at the Passover meal. They've celebrated with this Jesus a few times now, and they are kind of expecting the normal thing that has usually happened when they celebrated the Passover with Jesus, and so they're sitting around the table just expecting to have the normal, they didn't know that this was be referred to as the Last Supper. You know, this was just another Passover meal to have with Jesus. And they're sitting around doing whatever they're doing, things, you know, and all of a sudden Jesus starts talking and he says, one of you, 
not one of them, not one of the religious leaders, not one of the political leaders, not one of the Romans, not one of the of the followers who follow me at a distance, not one of the followers who followed me and fell away from me. No, one of you 12 is going to betray me. Can you, I mean, how would you, how would you have reacted? I mean, being a disciple, loving Jesus, being devoted to him, believing in him as Messiah, following him with your whole heart, believing that you'll put your own life on the line if necessary, thinking this is God's anointed one. This is the Messiah. And then he says, one of, but knowing also that the religious leaders have a price on his head and are looking for him and want to, you want to do harm to him probably. Uh, and knowing that, you know, these are precarious times in a precarious place and things are getting a little dangerous. But then to hear, I mean, maybe you wouldn't be surprised if one of those other people were going to betray him, but to hear Jesus say, one of you is going to betray me. I mean, what would your reaction have been to that? Yeah. I mean, good morning, the Rose. Yeah. Yeah. And you get that in, um, you kind of get that in, uh, in Matthew's account, because in Matthew's account, it says they all started asking, you know, is it is it me? Is it could it be me? Which goes to show, you know, I think what they're thinking is, you know, am I? In other words, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, Jesus, I wouldn't purposely do this, but am I somehow going to accidentally do it? You know, is it me? Is am I going to do something that I don't know that somehow is going to? Either be a good thing, it can be denied Christ. Yeah, that would be. Right, right. So is it is it me? I mean, could, could I possibly if if could I, could it possibly be me? And the thing is, Judas had to. I am assuming Judas was also saying that. Could it be me? And so there's this there's this uproar, isn't there? So I think I think when this when Jesus made this big announcement, one of you is going to betray me. I think all of them started kind of. And Matthew does a better job of kind of indicating that they're all kind of upset and they're all kind of talking and there's like this tumult and they're all talking at the same time. And so there's there's noise going on. And I think it's important for the next part of what we're going to talk about. But it, this this reminds me of uh, Jan's family. This, re- this reminds me. This be careful. You might be a sermon illustration if you. Uh, <clears throat> when I first started dating Jan. We like go to her with her family to Christmas or something or Thanksgiving, and it amazed me because they all talk at the same time. They all, I'm like, how how do you have a conversation? You're all talking at the same time. I mean, she goes, no, we we we, and I'm like, in my family, one person talks and one person listens, and then you respond, and it's like you take turns. No, no, her family, oh, it's the most amazing. But it, so it's it's kind of a noisy thing, you know. So I think that's kind of the way it was at the Last Supper when Jesus said, "Why don't you go to train?" They all started talking at the same time. There's noise going on. That, yes, yes. Her mom comes over and her brother comes over and they spend some time with us and they go right back to it again. I I sit back and I just listen. I'm like, 
how do they know what they're saying to each other? I don't know, but they do. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so um, I want to can you hand this out? I wanted to hand this out. This is a this is a uh, diagram of the seating chart for the Last Supper. Did you know there was a seating chart for the Last Supper? So this is it. So uh, I want you to just kind of look that over while I'm going to read this. Uh, so there was a seating chart for the Last Supper, and you take a look at that when you get it. I want to, I want to, Jeff, I, this is for you. This is for you, exactly, specifically, because you brought up a couple of weeks ago how Judas's response of, and, and Matthew says specifically that Judas says, Specifically, is it is it odd it, it, that when Jesus says, "One of you going to betray me," that Judas is the first one probably to say, "Is it I?" And 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 your 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 point, Jeff, at the time was that he was feeling so guilty at the time and the pressure and the stress of knowing what he did and trying to live with it that when he realized that Jesus knew this was like a defense mechanism of, well, you know, it's not me. Is it, is it, it's not me. It can't, you know, like look, look somewhere else kind of thing. I think, is that, did I understand that correctly? Jeff? Yeah. So this was written, this is Chuck Swindoll from his, um, from his study of this passage here in uh, John. And this is, it reminded me of what you said, Jeff. So I wanted to share it with everybody. He says, secret sin inevitably warps the mind and twists one's values. Embezzlers like Judas rarely steal much at first, but as the pilfering becomes habitual and then ritualized, the thief must learn to rationalize his sin or face the awful prospect of repentance. Driven by shame, he must keep his sin a secret. Meanwhile, the cycle of compulsion and shame drives a wedge between his private thoughts, and his fastidiously maintained public and often pious persona. Eventually, the sinner accepts his public facade as his true self in a desperate attempt to escape the relentless pursuit of shame. When caught in sin, an embezzler almost always appears shocked, and in some ways he is surprised by the accusations because he has convinced himself that no one can see the true person he had long ago concealed. Judas had been cultivating a double life for much of his time with Jesus. His charming religious facade kept a seething resentment safely concealed from others. Remember we talked last week how it's not really disillusionment, it's resentment. His charming religious facade kept a seething resentment safely concealed from others. No one suspected his secret sin, much less wondered about his loyalty. Even as he received the morsel from Jesus, we're going to talk about that in a minute, and departed into the night without explanation, no one suspected anything. So I thought that was a really good description. So, okay, so do you have your uh, your seating chart there? So when we talk about the Last Supper, most uh, of the time uh, we tend to think about what? The Leonardo da Vinci, right? The Leonardo da Vinci, the Last Supper. He's right in the middle and they're all, and there's this big table, and they're all sitting at it, and it's, you know, nicely adorned, and they're all sitting there, and, all, and um, you know, of course, Leonardo da Vinci was an Italian, and, you know, he put out a nice Italian feast there. That's the way Italians ate their family meals, and so da Vinci went with what he knew was his time, but that's not the way they did things back in Jesus' day. <laughs> so, 
The way they did it back in Jesus' day is like you see here in this diagram. It was a low table, and they actually reclined. And if you read some of the descriptions of the Last Supper, it says that they were reclining. And this is how they did it. And uh, you can see here kind of a, it might have been a U-shape like this, or it might have been an oval table. But you would you would lean with your head at the table, and your feet would be extended back like you see here. And you would recline on your left, on your left arm, on your left side. So you'd be you'd be reclining on your left and you'd be eating with your right hand. Okay. So if you look here at the seating chart, you see that the first one on the left is John. Yeah, the, I, I, some of these, uh, some of the drawings aren't all that great, but uh, but that would have been John, and that was the second. So so you see Jesus there, he was the host. So the one that would sit on his right, on, on the host's right, which in this case is John, is the second most important guest at the, at the Passover meal. Uh, to the left of the host is the guest of honor, the most important uh, person, the most important position on the, at the table after the host uh, it would be the guest of honor. And this is where Judas would have been seated. So you have uh, Jesus as the host. John is on his right, and Judas is on his left. And the question is, uh, did, did Jesus invite Judas to that position as the guest of honor, as the most important uh, person at the, at the meal, at the Passover meal, uh, as a way to give Judas uh, an opportunity to still change his mind about what he was going to do or still reach his heart? Uh, or knowing Judas, uh, as we do now, did Judas go, just go in and take that seat? I think Christ gave it to him. Yeah. I think, I think he gave it to him because he didn't. Yeah, very possibly. All about Peter. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go, so, so what happens then is if you go around the table, then you have in descending order, uh, positions of importance. And as you can see, Peter then is the last one. And that position is the the position of the person, the guest who is of least importance at the meal. Now, why do we think this is the seating chart? Okay, we're gonna talk, we're gonna read this passage and it will reveal to us why why this is what it is. Okay. So verse 22. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant, who, which one's going to betray them. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who we know is John, was reclining next to him. So that's what we see here in our drawing. Uh, Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Now, I just want to take for a minute, um, before we look at the position on the drawing, is the way it's written actually in the Greek could mean a, it could be something a little bit different. Uh, most all translations always say and have always said that Peter motioned his. You know, if you were, what was Peter's motion? What was Peter's? How? So, so there's a lot of noise going on. A lot of people are talking, right? And Peter isn't close enough to talk to John. You know, to, uh, he, he can't. He, he knows John isn't going to be able to hear him because there's too much noise going on. He's too far away from John. Um, so he gives him a signal. 
ask him which one he means, which one is going to betray. What kind of signal is that? What, what kind of signal? I mean, you know, like in, uh, what was it called? Um, the Sting? The Sting, the movie. This was, like, they had a signal. Like, when someone did their nose, that was a signal. I mean, did they have this worked out ahead of time? It's like, it's like, you know, it's like, if Jan gives me a signal, I don't know what she wants. I'm like, what do you want? But somehow... John knew exactly what Peter wanted. If they had this worked out ahead of time, hey, I don't know. But okay, whatever. It, 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 they they knew what what it said. But it could also be translated though that Peter motioned his disciple to this disciple to John and said, "Which one does he mean?" It could be that Peter thought John knew because of one where John is sitting next to Jesus. And because of their close relationship, you know, the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple who loved Jesus, it could be that Peter thought John knew. So it could be that, that Peter's asking John to ask Jesus, as it's, as it's done here. It also could be that John was just saying, to, that Peter was just saying to John, John, who, who is it? Asking John who it was. However it was, when you look at your seating chart, you can understand why this happened this way. So the way it is here, with John on his left, uh, sitting on his, uh, reclining on his left at the end of the table, John can't see any, any, you know, John can't see Judas. He can't see any of the, the way he's reclining there, he can't see any of the disciples at the head of the table. He can't see really the way he's there in that position at the end of the table on his left. Peter's about the only disciple he can see. John's on his right. John's at the end of the table. I'm sorry, on his right. John's on his right. I'm sorry to say left. So John is at the end of the table on Jesus' right, okay? But he's reclining on his left. John's reclining on his left side. That's what I meant. He's reclining on his left side. So because of the way he's positioned at the table on, on his left side, he based, John basically has his back to everyone. He can't see anyone except he can see Peter, who's on the far side, on the opposite side, also at the end of the table. So, so this makes sense. The reason we kind of know that John and Peter were positioned in this way is because this is about the only way Peter almost has to be in that position for John to be able to see the 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 sign, the signal, the, the whatever that was when he motioned to him, so so Peter had to be there, otherwise John would have been able to see the the sting signal that Peter gave him. So yeah, yeah. But it's interesting, isn't it, that Peter would be either given or Peter took the place of least importance at the and this is before he denies jesus so there's something working in peter's heart here that this kind of says something uh as it were this also position but i think what i'm saying is when right what i'm saying is when you read the description of the last supper and you look at this you realize that this makes a lot of sense this makes a lot of sense. So if if this was the position that they were in, that this would be where this would be the way that they were they were positioned. So I think they probably might have worked, but I, I would disagree with you. Like you can see, it's like he is now. It might be different. 
You can see some of them, but you're, you're, there are a lot of them you can't see too. So it just it just depends. It also depends how flexible was John. I don't know. <laughs> he might have arthritis like me. I don't know. So, so anyway, but it makes this makes sense that this this would have could have been like this. So okay. So then we go on and it says um, so to get the answer to Peter's question, it says leaning back against Jesus, he asked him. Lord, who is it? So again, this makes sense when you see this. So John is on his left side. Jesus is basically behind him, right? Now he could have turned like this, but yeah. hey, Jesus, look. But wouldn't it make sense that he would just lean back? You know. So if Jesus is behind him, he's on his left, right? And so Jesus, if John could just lean back like this and kind of put his head on Jesus' chest, and Jesus is looking down on him. Right. And he can say, is it so see, so that's the way it would have happened that John leans back on Jesus' chest. Jesus is sitting there kind of above him. And he says, Who is it, Lord? And so this also then, if you take if you take the noise in the room at the time and the fact that John is that close to Jesus when he asks, and Jesus is as close to John when he answers, that most likely only John heard Jesus' answer to the question. The other disciples did not hear it. Okay? So it goes on to say, Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. So because of the way it's done, when he goes, leans back, and he's that close to Jesus, and just the two of them talking there personally, and the noise in the room, only John heard Jesus' answer as to who was going to betray him. The others did not hear this. So then it says, Then dipping the piece of bread, Jesus gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. Now, let me ask you this. How did Jesus give this to Judas? Because just what we talked about with John and Jesus, just reverse it now to Jesus and Judas. So in other words, Jesus is in front of Judas. Judas is behind him, okay? Now, did he take that piece of morsel and dip it and hand it to Judas this way, like across his body? Or did Jesus actually do what John did? Did Jesus take the morsel and lean back on the Judas's chest and say, you know, and give it to him? I just think it's so much more personal and delicate and it has more meaning that Jesus leaned back onto Judas's heart and offered him this morsel that close to him rather than just reaching out and hand it to him like here you know it was like here so John leans back on Jesus's breast and Jesus leans back on Judas's breast to hand this to him to to indicate to John who the betrayer will be. So now Judas knows, Jesus knows, and John knows. I don't think John's reported back to Peter yet. So, so, so these they're the only, they're the only ones who know at this point. And so it goes on to say, uh, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Now this is the same. Uh, entered into him that we talked about last week 
Uh, it can mean one of two things. It can either mean that Satan took possession of Judas and that Judas had no control over his body or his mind or what he was doing, or it also can mean that Satan manipulates you. That he for 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 so take it another way to put it is that Satan took Judas's thoughts captive. He he convinced Judas to do this. He talked him into it. He manipulated him. So he took his thoughts captive, which of course Judas allowed him to do. Judas allowed him to do. So it says Satan, because when Satan entered into him, it was still important that Judas still had free will at this point. So it wasn't that Satan took control of his body and Satan had no free will. I mean, at this point, Judas could still have said no. Jesus, Judas could still have changed his mind. Judas could still have ended it. And Judas could still have said, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I did. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it. You, you can't you can't take away Judas's free will in this moment, or you take away the validity of what validity of what he did. So when it says Satan entered into him, it wasn't a possession. It was a convincing of him uh, to convince him to do it by manipulating him to do it. But still in all, the bottom line is the same in terms of what Judas actually did. And it says, uh, Jesus says, and what you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. Now, this goes to show, again, that Jesus is the one in control here. Okay? Judas is in control. Jesus is in control. Because remember, we go all the way back to where we first started back in Matthew. We learned that the religious leaders did not want this to happen during Passover. They said, we don't want this to happen during Passover because we're afraid of the crowds. Wait till Passover is over and then we'll do it. But it, it did, they didn't wait because Judas came to them right after this and said, now is the time. If you're going to do it, now is the best time. Because I know what he's going to do when he leaves the upper room after Passover. He's going to do what he always does. He's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He does that every year. It's just him and them. And this is your time, now or never. But see, this is because this is the timing that Jesus wanted. This isn't the time that the religious leaders wanted. This isn't really the time that Judas even wanted. But right here, Jesus is the one who sets the timetable. He says, you know, go what you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. Do it now. Do it quickly. Do it. Don't wait. So Jesus is establishing the time frame, which is important because it has to happen over Passover to fulfill the prophecies. So Jesus is the one who's in control, even at this point, of course. So it goes on to say, what you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood what, what was what no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Judas was a master thief. He was able to steal money for three years, and no one knew he was a thief except Jesus. Even here at this last moment, it says, since Judas had charge of the money, verse 29, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. It was common during Passover for people to give money to the poor. And that's what they thought he was going to do. I don't understand that. 
Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, they're, they're having the Passover now. Well, that that it's just that has just begun though. This is just at the very beginning. Well, this is just at the very beginning of Passover and the and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and all that is just just begun here. And this is at the very beginning of the meal because Jesus dismisses Judas before the meal goes any farther because he doesn't want Judas there when he's breaking the bread and doing the cup of communion. He doesn't want Judas or Satan a part of that. So he dismisses Judas at the very beginning of that so that the rest of it can be done without Judas there. So that's what it says here. <laughs> that's what it said. You know, they they thought he was, yeah, maybe, 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 he, you know, someone forgot to bring dessert, you know? <laughs> maybe he's going out to get dessert. I don't know. But or to get something. But the point of the fact is that Judas was able to fool them all those years, all that time. And even up to this point, they never considered that he was doing it. it never occurred to them. And this is important too. When Judas was given the place of honor at the table beside Jesus on his left, Apparently, no one questioned it. They all knew that was the place, the most honored place, and the fact that Judas took it was fine with them because they must have seen him in that way. That. Yeah. It, it seems as you as you go through the Bible, I mean, we have 2020 vision. We have hindsight. We know Judas, right? But if you put yourself in the position at the time, not knowing what they didn't know, not knowing what we know, uh, you get the impression all through Scripture up until the this last, up until the time he appears in the garden to betray Jesus. That up until that moment, the other disciples had a pretty high opinion of Judas, and even here, given the benefit of the doubt, that again only John and Jesus. And Judas, no. So that's another reason why I don't think anyone else heard Jesus tell John that the one I give this morsel to is the one who's going to betray me. Because when he, when Judas then after that leaves, none of the rest of them know why he left. So no one else heard that, or they would have known what Judas was up to. The fact that they didn't know indicates that they did not hear Jesus tell John that this is the one who will betray me, the one I give this morsel to. So that was just a personal conversation between Jesus and John at that point. And the thing is, you know, I think, and, 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 and Chuck brought it up at the beginning of class today, I think there are still people, unfortunately, in churches today that are kind of camouflaging themselves. Um, like Judas did, you know, Judas camouflaged himself like a disciple, but he wasn't, his heart wasn't in it and his spirit wasn't changed. And unfortunately, I think there are people in churches today that are like that, you know, they kind of look the part of a Christian, but if you really, you know, find out what they're about, you find out that, uh, you know, boy, it's they're not really showing it in, in their beliefs or what they think or the way they do things. Um, and it can be very disappointing at times when you, I, I, 
and this isn't cast any aspersions, just my own heart and spirit. And not to say people aren't Christian, because tr- Christians also sometimes do things and make decisions and make you scratch your head. But I kind of stopped serving on boards and committees and churches because I would go to those boards and committees and there would be people who would say things and take certain positions and certain decisions that would be made and voted on that I felt were so wrong. And and I would come away from those meetings so disappointed in people. Uh, and I don't want to feel that way about people, about Christians. I want to love them and and have a real heart for them. And it just it would just depress me to come out of some of those meetings, hearing some of the things people would say and things they wanted to do and things they would vote through. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. So I I try not I try not to serve on boards and committees anymore because it, I mean for people who do wonderful, it's a service that they have and people need to do it. But I just get so disappointed. <laughs> So I don't, I don't do it. I like being here with you and doing this, and this is all good. But uh, sometimes I probably hound you and Steve a little bit because he was in charge of money. Money was important. Yeah, he was the treasurer. Their movement or whatever I call it, and that's why too. Yeah, we thought you was a little step. Yeah, because if you got done trust with him. Yeah. No, the time. So let's finish it off then. The last verse, verse 30. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. And he took the bread. I find that interesting. He took the bread. Did he leave it at the table when he left? Did he take it with him when he left? You know, this is the one last thing that Jesus tried to reach out to him. And, you know, this is his one last you know, I love you, I honor you, you know, this is my, you know, he hasn't heard it yet, he doesn't know it, but this is going to be what Jesus says, this is my body that is given for you, I don't know, he takes it, maybe he, give me, he ate it, give me, he ate it, yeah, he took it. Yeah. So he took it, he received it. Did he eat it? Did he leave it at the table when he left? Did he take it with him? I just, I just wonder about that. He ate it. Okay, that's possible. That's possible that he did. So whatever it is, he did. but then he goes out and, and it was night. And I want you to think about something for a minute. From this moment on, Judas never again saw the light of day. He never again saw the light of day. He goes out into the night. It's dark. He goes to the. Eventually, he goes to the temple. He throw or to the yeah temple. He throws the money in. He goes out and he commits suicide. All this is done during the night. So never again does Judas ever see the light of day. He goes from the darkness of the night to the darkness of the eternity eternity in hell. So. It's, it's kind of apropos, isn't it, that Judas, from this moment on, never again saw the light of day, only darkness and night, and then darkness and hell for eternity. And it's so sad. Um, but once that happened, and, you know, because when you get to there, when you get to hell, it's a place where money means nothing. Possessions mean nothing. 
And I just wonder how often he thinks about what he did and where he is because of the fact that money, material things were so important to him. Um, and he never again saw light uh, after that in that way. And it makes, it makes me wonder, you know, when Jesus comes again, is he going to come during the daytime or is he going to come during the nighttime? You know, because there's going to be daytime in some place on earth. It's going to be nighttime in the other, some other place on earth. And I'm thinking for people who aren't believers, you know, if it's nighttime when Jesus comes, you know, they're going to be left not only in, uh, it's going to happen only in the physical darkness of night, but then they're going to be left with the spiritual darkness of having missed him when he comes again. So, okay, that's what I have today. So anybody have any comments or questions or? Okay, you know, next week we're going to go to uh, The Deal is Done, and we're going to look into uh, the actual betrayal that happens at the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, the fact that Judas is so cold-hearted he can actually betray Jesus with a kiss. And then we're going to look at the last part of uh, the the outcome of what happened and Judas's, um, you know, what he did when he decided to take his own life. So we'll deal with those two things, and then we'll be done with Judas, and then we'll go on to Peter uh, for our next study. So. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you, peace be with you. Shalom.